0: From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Well,
1: we used to look up in the sky
0: and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. Quite frankly, everybody else has an interest in sending you to the
1: electric chair. I... This is Simon Rose. You join us for the business of film. Whereas ever, James Cameron Wilson takes us through the UK box office charts, telling us what is good and what is not. So, James, how is the box office looking? Healthy? It's not looking too bad.
0: It is down 4% from the previous weekend. Hmm. But for the s- six consecutive weekend at number one, we still have Spider-Man Wow. No Way Home, which made 2.3 million quid last weekend for a total of 87.4 million pounds. Good grief. Down just 27%. It is now the seventh highest grossing film of all time at the UK box office. And I think at its current rate, it could actually overtake No Time to Die because the James Bond film wasn't making this much after six weeks it is a genuine box office phenomenon so to rush through very quickly mm-hmm. at the top 10 we had the lion king at number 10 titanic 9 star wars the last jedi 8 and now spider-man no way home at 7 it's creeping up very fast on avengers Endgame, and just stopping it is avatar specter no time to die skyfall and the number one film of all time in the UK, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. So it's just incredible how well this is doing, particularly in a time of pandemic.
1: Though, of course, not inflation adjusted, I think, so, I mean, Star Wars, you start adjusting inflation and never catch Star Wars. Well, no, Gone with the Wind would still be number one. (laughs) Yeah. James. OK, well, that's um, interesting. I suppose I to get to see it at some stage, but um, it's fun. I haven't It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. yeah.
0: OK. Uh, a lot of spoilers. Um, I was talking to, well, I went to see Nightmare Alley. They were. Uh, they came in and I was still watching the credits and mm. uh, they were telling me they were so excited about seeing Spider-Man no, no Way Home. And they hadn't heard any spoilers yet. And then she blurted out the spoiler of No Time to Die.
1: <laughs> I said, how
0: do you know I've seen it? I might not have seen it yet. Um, yeah. But yes. anyway, uh, and there was a, uh, did you see that f- uh, huge article in The Telegraph all about the spoiler in No Time to Die? I was livid. Um, well, maybe maybe you were in France. I can't
1: remember. Maybe it was in France.
0: There's a whole main feature in The Telegraph on Saturday. Oh, yes. All, no, I all saw that. about those. the spoiler.
1: Yes, yes.
0: I thought not everybody, it's only just been released on DVD. Not everybody has seen it yet. That's yes, true. Anyway, true. We, we keep stum on this show. We
1: do, we do. Though I imagine so many people do know that, um, that it might not be a surprise, but who knows? Who knows? Well, it was let's, still let's an interesting article. Way. An interesting article for those who don't worry about that spoiler.
0: Yes. Well, I, I do really worry about spoilers. <sighs> Okay, well, moving to number two, we have a new film called Belfast, which made £2.2 million. Oh, it's quite respectable. uh, I mean, it's not far off, Spider-Man, No Way Home. But then it's had enormous Oscar buzz, and Kenneth Branagh has been doing the um, publicity circuit. Hmm. And it's basically, I mean, he was stuck at home and he decided to do what everybody else does and write his memoirs but for him he wrote a screenplay mm. about his years growing up in Belfast in mm. 1969 as a nine-year-old boy played here by Jude Hill and it shot in black and white he's got a wonderful cast Judy Dench who's I think he's worked with about 12 times in his career now <laughs> yes 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 and um, The trouble is, well, just to make sure that we don't forget that we're just watching a movie, Kenneth Branagh frequently introduces colour. So when Buddy goes to the movies, the film he sees, One Million Years B.C. and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, are in vivid technicolour. The hues even reflected in the black and white spectacles of Judy Dench's granny in the audience. And I have to say, it was really surprised to see Sally Anne Howes on screen <laughs> in colour in a black and white film because, of course, we just <laughs> lost her a, <laughs> yes, a few weeks yes. ago. Uh, Branagh just can't help himself. However, Belfast feels less like a film than a theatrical reenactment of the Troubles. And as I watched the choreographed street battles, I had a yearning to revisit Yann Demange's brutal, visceral, and almost documentary-like Seventy One. Of 2014. Branagh has always been a self conscious director and has never been able to resist a quirky camera angle introduced for its own sake. Presumably, he is attempting to give us a boy's eye view of the events, but it is a distraction and keeps us even further from the drama at the heart of the family. And yet, the film. Isn't very well framed, and there's one sequence where Jamie Dornan, who plays his dad, his profile is lost in the shadow of a window jam, while Katrina Balf, who is wonderful, I have to say, is facing him, um, and she's beautifully framed, her profile. So, on the one hand, it is almost goes to one extreme in making this beautifully constructed art house film, and in others, it rather smudges it. There are good performances here. You may remember that Kenneth Brenner is also an actor himself, particularly from Katrina Mm. Balfe, who's getting a lot of Oscar buzz as Ma, and Kieran Hines as Pop, who is very good. But I was less convinced by Jude Hill as Buddy. Not for a minute did I forget that he was acting. And so the film is infused with an artifice that distracts from any emotional commitment or belief in what is going on on screen I was actually very irritated by it after a while and it it's all set on one street which feels like a set it doesn't feel real it's just so artificial and it's like he's sort of reaching he's trying to do um he's trying to do Roma his version of Roma in Belfast Northern Ireland a shame because he has
1: made some good films I mean oh yes he
0: has much ado about nothing Yes, uh, it's still probably it. my favourite brand. Of.
1: Yes,
0: yes, but it's got very good reviews. I think it's the New York Times that totally agreed with me.
1: Hmm. But anyway, well, it, I'm glad it's well, doing I, I, well. As you mentioned, Jamie Dornan. I know you don't watch TV as much as I do, but there's a fantastic uh, Australian thriller starring him called The Tourist, which is absolutely brilliant. It's as good as okay. any cinema thriller I, like I have Jamie seen Dornan. for many years. He, he's uh, very
0: good in it. He, yeah. he won't get an Oscar nomination, but I, I hope Katrina Balfe does. Right. Well, let us think...
1: shoot down the list. So that's number two. Um, that is number two. If it got to there.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, I'm very pleased. We've got at number three, Scream, down 49% with 1.3 million. Uh, <laughs> Scream. We Well, of course, this was released uh, two weeks ago. Although this is called Scream, it's actually both a sequel to mm. Scream 4 and a reboot of the original Scream originally released, oh gosh, I, years ago now, but there is this new trend to confuse cinema goers to release requels, which they're now called, by the name of the original film. So when you're talking about Halloween, you have to refer to it as the Halloween with the 20-year-old Jamie Lee Curtis, as opposed to the Halloween mm. with the 60-year-old Jamie right. Lee Curtis.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But Apart- do we have to do this with West side story as well then, James? I beg your pardon? Do we oh, have to do this with West Side Story?
0: No, that's a genuine genuine remake.
1: Okay, all right. Okay, yeah, so not... All right, yes, okay. I this you. should really be called Scream
0: 5. Right. And apparently the characters in the new Scream are all obsessed with the original film, which here is given the nom de plume of Stab. But we know it's the same film because they name-check the characters and the actors who play them, who are also in Scream 5 five which is really weird so it seems a bit unfair on the first victim tara who cites the babadook as her favorite horror movie just before she's gutted like a fish this i think was the only redeeming moment in the entire picture all the characters are very horror savvy in this film and the killer knows this and so he's actually quizzing her on her best films And she doesn't like stab. She doesn't like scream. She liked the Babadook. And I was rooting for her (laughs) until she got, well, attacked. Anyway, well, I think it's being clever and meta, obviously. It's actually perpetrating all the cliches that it is mocking. There are four occasions I counted them when a character jumps out of their skin, when a friend stands next to them that they hadn't seen was there. Again, here we have a whole bunch of idiots who have no peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. And with the directors favouring tight close-ups, we, the audience, are as blindsided as the protagonists, which is cheating, Simon. You would Mm -hmm. never have seen this kind of thing in A Quiet Place or Get Out or Antebellum or Raw, to name some of the most intelligent horror films of recent years. And the other thing that really bugged me, among many incidents is that how characters are in one minute being stabbed in a frenzy and in a later scene appear to have made a full recovery thanks to a <laughs> modest telltale bandage
1: slipped on <laughs> by the continuity girl. Uh, they were Almost as if it's so bad it might be good. It's a shame because even though I don't like horror movies, I thought the first scream was really great fun. Well, it's the details that really get me
0: and stop me if I'm wrong. But do you keep your ice cream in the door of your fridge? I don't keep... Well, in a fridge? No, who would keep ice cream no, in no. a fridge? Well, they they do in Scream, but that's, I think, maybe, because there's no sign of any parents around. Just a lot of teenagers living on their own in impossibly big houses. Actually, that's not true. There's one parent, the sheriff, Mary Hicks, who's played by Marley Shelton, previously seen in Scream 4, who is the mother of a young man called Wes, obviously a homage oh, yeah, yeah. to the creator yes. of the franchise, Wes craven who was initially involved with this requel but who died in 2015 i'm only glad that he's not alive to see what they've done to his brainchild
1: right james time for us to take a, (laughs) a a breather so you can recover and get on to the fourth film hang on
0: sharing ideas about money this is share radio
1: This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film, where I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson. So James, went out down number four in the chart. What's that?
0: Uh, this is another new film called Nightmare Alley, which so far made £5.5 million, pounds, adapted from William Lindsay Gresham's 1946 novel, which I'm sure you know was previously filmed in 1947 with Tyrone Power and Joan Blondell. This is a remake. I would just I think I ought to explain when I was talking about screen being a requel. A requel is a cross between a sequel and a reboot. Right. So yes, I think I got this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. some listeners might have been a bit confused by this. Now, this is directed by Guillermo Del Toro, and it's got a terrific cast headed by Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Willem Defoe, Rooney Mara, David Strathern, Tony Collette, Mary Steenburgen, and it is a sight to behold. It is really beautiful. And it starts with this unknown man who's almost like a blank slate played by Bradley Cooper, who stumbles upon a carnival and he's desperate for work. This is the depression is still being felt. Although I worked out, look, I, I, we weren't spoon fed exposition and I realised we must be about 1939. And he gets a job in a carnival. He's desperate to eat. And we don't actually hear Bradley Cooper speak for quite some time until the movie. And we realize that the carnival is basically a whole lot of Jim Crackery and nothing is true. And they're just leading the clientele, the customers by the nose. And it turns out that Bradley Cooper is rather good at this. And he's a bit of a charlatan. And he builds on his character and helps the various sideshows. And then it jumps forward two years when he moves on. Uh, I think to play a really good medium, a mentalist like Derren Brown, I think you have to have a lot of charisma. And you learn a lot about the technique of how he does it. But there is no charisma in this character. He remains a blank slate. And then it goes off on this other sort of tangent, and it gets really unpleasant. It's very long. It's two and a half hours. And although you can never stop realising what a beautiful piece of filmmaking it is, and it looks stunning, I was not engaged in the characters. I thought Bradley Cooper, who is an actor I admire, uh, just kind of blah, it perks up when Kate Blanchett turns up as a psychologist who starts playing him at his own game, Stan, his name. Um, and it really didn't work for me. I was really disappointed because I like Bradley Cooper. Guillermo del Toro, of course, did The Shape of Water, mm. which I loved. He did Pan's Labyrinth. But he's also done some really bad films like Pacific Rim and Hellboy. <laughs>
1: I'd, forgotten, I'd forgotten that.
0: So um, he's. A, yeah. I suppose we put him in the same shelf as Wes Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson. He can do great films and he can do rotten mm. ones, but he, he is a great craftsman. And I know the critics have loved this. I've also found reviews that have agreed with me, uh, a number of critics who just fell asleep during it, which is a real shame. So moving on at number five, we have Clifford, the big red oh, dog. Grief, okay. This has
1: been around ages, okay
0: down 12 percent it's now got a total of 8.5 million pounds which will can't harm jack Whitehall's budding film career mm-hmm. at number six we've got the king's man down 38 percent a total of 7.1 million quid mm-hmm. seven we've got encanto which has actually gone up one percent but at least it's not going down with a total now of seven million. 82,000. This is, of course, Disney's 60th animated feature, with songs by Lynn manuel Miranda set in Colombia. It's fun, it's great, it's not a classic. At number eight, Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza, down 49.5%. Which you weren't very keen on, on, I remember. Yep. Yeah, again, it's one of those films I was impressed with, but not emotionally mm. engaged. I was emotionally engaged by West Side Story at number nine, even though you weren't. This is down 45%, but still it's got a total of 7 million. And at number 10, the Etricable, Risible, The Matrix Resurrections, down 46%, with a total of 7.3 million. Now, I do have a DVD of the week. Okay. But- um, before I Do I have time to mention something that I saw on Amazon Prime before well, I go on uh, to the DVD? Well, well briefly,
1: yes. If you, okay. It depends how long you want for the DVD. But yes, Jez, of course you No,
0: I, I quite liked it. It's called My Son. It's a Scottish remake of a French film called Mon Garçon, starring James McAvoy and Claire Foy, both wonderful actors. And it's what I liked about it, it doesn't tell you what's happening and you have to pick up. And also James McAvoy didn't have a script and he improvised all his scenes, which really works, I think, on this occasion. Oh, there normally,
1: there. normally that would be a bit of a worry to me.
0: But it's James McAvoy. Mm. And I think there are very few Scottish films set in Scotland and making the most of the Highlands. It looks terrific. I, it's a shame that it's on Amazon Prime, because I would have loved to have seen it on the big screen. Claire mm. Foy, of course, is wonderful. And they meet up. They're obviously estranged. Uh, their son, their seven-year-old son, Ethan, has gone missing. And I think that's all you need to know. But I love the way it sort of drip-fed drip the exposition as you get drawn into this story. And it's just great to see a Scottish film. I think there's a lot of good Scottish telly, around, but not on the big screen, give or take the odd train spotting.
1: Okay, James, that's fine. And you wanted to mention a a DVD, I believe. I did indeed. Uh, My DVD
0: of the week. Quick question, Simon. Which filmmaker received the most Oscars for Best Director?
1: I don't even think I could attempt to guess it. Spielberg? You you might think. but uh, Way ahead is John
0: Ford. Oh, okay. So I knew it wasn't honored. Hitchcock, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he got it for The Informer, The Grapes of Wrath, How Green Was My Valley, and The Quiet Man. Now, I want you to imagine a company like Hammer, Hammer Films, managing to persuade a director of the calibre of David Lean to direct a film for them. Or, say today, a company like Blumhouse Productions, persuading Spielberg to direct their next movie. Well, back in the 1930s and 1940s, the film company Republic Pictures was known (laughs) primarily...
1: Property Row um, Company, yes. Uh,
0: Known for its Westerns and B movies. So when Ford approached them to make his Irish romantic comedy, The Quiet Man, which had been turned down by every Hollywood studio, they agreed to make the film on the condition that Ford made a Western for them first. Of course, Ford was the master of the genre, as was his frequent leading man, John Wayne. Mm. And so they made Rio Grande for Republic in order to join forces on The Quiet Man a year Mm. later, Mm. which they did. And to everybody's surprise, not only was The Quiet Man a huge critical success and landed Ford his fourth Oscar for Best Director, but was a box office hit as well, the biggest in Republic's history. So now Ford was in a position to negotiate with the Republic, and so he brought to them a truly uncommercial project, the remake of a film he had made 19 years earlier, starring Will Rogers and Stepin Fetchit. This was Judge Priest from the story by Irvin S. Cobb, However, Ford had been unhappy with the studio's version of that film, 20th Century Fox, who had cut a key scene that they found offensive in which a lynch mob attempts to hang a black boy without due proof. So for his second stab at the same story, Ford enlisted the scenarist. Lawrence Starling's to combine three separate stories written by Irvin S. Cobb to make a a more complex, multi-leveled film called The Sun Shines Bright, which I had never seen before. Sadly, Republic made their own cut to the finished film, although Ford's untampered version was released in Britain and the rest of Europe to critical acclaim. And now the full British version has been restored and is being released on Blu-ray for the very first time as part of the Masters of Cinema series released by Eureka Entertainment. John Ford himself confided in the director Burt Kennedy that The Sun Shines Bright was his own favourite film, and it is certainly his most personal, while dealing with a wide variety of themes, including small-mindedness, justice, politics, condescension, race relations, war, and forgiveness. It stars the character actor Charles Winniger in his only leading role in the Will Rogers part as Judge Priest, loosely based on the real-life judge William Bishop. The film also stars Stepan Fetchett, repeating his original role, as well as John Ford's brother Francis Ford in his final picture, and Slim Pickens, as his son, Love him. Yep. Francis Ford's son, in his first film part. Needless to say, it is a beautifully, beautifully preserved print and a complex, ultimately touching film. It is also very shocking in the way that the black characters are used for comic effect, although ultimately Ford's heart is in the right place. Uh, Judge Priest, in spite of being a former Confederate soldier, is a man of enormous tolerance. In the reinstated scene featuring the lynch mob, Judge Priest confronts the rabble and insists that regardless of race, creed or colour, justice will be done in the courtroom. However, I just have to say, with 20 main characters and four different storylines, it's not an easy film to follow. And even the the Ford biographer, Joseph McBride, who does a wonderful audio commentary, admitted that he had to see it a second time to get a handle on it. But it is a real piece of history. It looks fantastic. The Sun Shines Bright, 1953, John Ford. Thank
1: you, James. Um, That's it, though, for this week um, from the business of film. James will be back with more at the same time next week. Did you just look at me? Did you? Look at me. Look at me! How dare you!
0: Close your eyes!
1: There are no two words in the English language more harmful a good job the uh,
0: stuff that dreams are made of